Well, I have been looking forward to today. I don't know about you. I hope you have also. Now, there's probably all kinds of reasons why someone might be looking forward to today. And for me, it's actually because of the sermon. Uh, and I don't mean who is giving the sermon because that's me. That's not what I mean. But because I've known for a while now what this particular day's sermon was going to be about, and uh, particularly the text for the sermon. And we've arrived at a significant place in our story in the series through the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 15. And you can put your finger there or bookmark that or turn there in, in your Bible. We've just journeyed through the parting of the Red Sea and God's defeat of the Egyptians. And now we've come to something very interesting. We've arrived at the first song recorded in the Bible. And if you know me, you know that I like music. Um, all kinds of music, all kinds of different songs and things about the songs. And it's, it's also been really fun in these last couple of years of life to see my kids develop a liking for music as they're getting older also and the different things that they're into. And there's so many different and great aspects of music and songs. You have titles and the stories that are sung about and given, the melodies, the harmonies, the instrumentation, the vocals, the lyrics, or the lack of lyrics, it's an instrumental. Actually, one of my all-time favorite songs is an instrumental piece. But we find ourselves here at this spot in Exodus chapter 15, the first song recorded in the Bible. And I went back and forth trying to come up with a good title for this message, something that would capture the essence of the story and also kind of hint at the key elements of what was going on, but do so in a clever way, maybe something like, I was thinking, a tune for the times, a song for salvation. But there was another key element that even those couple of titles didn't really capture or touch on. Because it's not just about what's going on, the times. It isn't just about the fact that there is a song or the tune. There's something larger going on here. There is something about the salvation of the Israelites. But it's not just the fact of their salvation. It's more about what's happening right after their salvation, what they do next, immediately after. It's more about their response. And so I landed on the title, as you might see in your notes, A Response to Redemption. And we've been in this series through the book of Exodus for a little while now. We've already journeyed from the beginning of the book to chapter 14, the Israelites' journey out of Egypt all the way to the Red Sea. And there we saw the crossing of the sea, but on dry land and the miracle that that was. And also the destruction, I mean, literally the absolute destruction of God's enemies who had enslaved them. And this story that's been going on, particularly that story from last week's message, is their actual salvation. That's the moment of their actual salvation. But salvation always demands a response, a response of praise, praise that's appropriately expressed in song, you might say. And therefore, the song of Moses, as the beginning large portion of Exodus chapter 15 is often called, the song of Moses found in this passage was not merely appropriate at this point in the story, it was mandatory. Because whenever God does something great, he deserves to be praised, right? Often this praise comes in the form of a song. D. 
Did you know there was singing at creation? The book of Job says that when God made the world, the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Job 38 verse 7. And there's also singing all throughout the Old Testament. Usually when God saves his people, they sang of his praises. And here's some, just some examples I noted. In the book of Judges, when Israel defeated Jabin and Sisera, Deborah and Barak sang for joy. Judges chapter 5. King David sang when God delivered him from his enemies in 2 Samuel chapter 22. When David describes how God lifted him up out of the pit and set his feet on the rock, he also wrote of how he sang in Psalm chapter 40. He wrote this. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. When the Israelites came home from the exile, they did so singing just as Isaiah prophesied. In Isaiah 51, 11, it says, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. And then God sent his son into the world, Jesus. And all the angels sang for joy with Mary and Zechariah and Simeon joining with songs of praise. And you can read about that in both Luke chapters one and chapter two. And now, in today's times, in the church, we're singing all the time. We did so today. We're praising God for the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the scriptures tell us in Colossians 3, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Colossians 3.16. As Christians, we're singing a song that's never going to end. And the Bible even ends with some lyrics like, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb. And other lyrics from the songs in uh, the Apostle John's vision in the book of Revelation. The history of salvation is often described as a drama. The drama of redemption, it gets called. However, the drama, it's actually a musical. <laughs> and hopefully you're familiar with musicals. I was thinking about them this week. Many of them have been seen on stage or as live productions in theaters, but also made available as movies. And that was my introduction to the musicals. In our modern era, you might think of Hamilton, La La Land, Rent, or Mamma Mia. Before that, there were some classics, including, I listed a few here, The Sound of Music, Grease, West Side Story, Mary Poppins, Annie, Les Mis, Miss Saigon, Phantom of the Opera, Oklahoma, and some others even before that, My Fair Lady, The King and I, Fiddler on the Roof, Evita, Brigadoon. And I know I've only scratched the surface because there are so, so many. And I remember many of these because my mom loved movies in general, but in particular, musicals. You know, stories that are told not just with songs, but stories that are told through songs, so to speak, with key moments, important themes carrying along the story through the music and the lyrics. And now back to the Bible in Exodus 15. We've come to the first song in the Bible. 
And if you think about it, once we understand the essential role that music has as a response to redemption, it becomes clear why Exodus 15 at this moment in the history of the Israelites, it has to be a song. The Israelites have just been saved. And right at that moment, they needed to praise God for delivering them. And the Bible says in Exodus 15 verse 1, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Exodus 15.1. And the word then there, at the beginning of that chapter, it makes that connection between what's come before in chapter 14 and where we are now in chapter 15. Between salvation and its song. And we need to notice the order, because first the Israelites saw God save them. Remember, this was their actual salvation. Then they put their trust in him as their savior. And finally, they sang of his glory, which of course was the entire purpose of the Exodus, if you think about it. The Israelites were saved for the glory of God. The song of Moses here in Exodus 15 was this spontaneous, joyful response to their salvation. What God has done shows who God is. His work always reveals something about his character. And it's not surprising then that in this song from Moses, God is praised for many of his attributes. Now Moses wasn't writing a systematic theology of all of God's attributes. That's not what he was trying to do. He was simply singing God's praises, but it's almost impossible to do so without listing the things that make God so great. So what we see here in Exodus 15 are some ways that God is to be praised. So we're going to look through parts of Exodus chapter 15. If you haven't already, please turn there in your Bibles. You can find the key passages included in your sermon notes. And as we always try to remind you, those are available on the Nova Church app or at novachurch.org. We're not going to cover every verse of the chapter, but we'll hit some key passages that reveal some ways that God is to be praised. And the first is that God is praised for his eternity. Moses repeatedly called God by his special divine name, Yahweh, the Lord. And we see this in verses 1 and 2, twice in verse 3, twice in verse 6, also in verses 11, 16, 17, and 18. Repeatedly, Yahweh, the Lord. This is the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. It means that God is the self-existent, eternal, unchangeable Lord. And that God, the God who brought Israel out of Egypt, it's the same God that was at the burning bush. It's the same God who first made the covenant with Abraham. And Moses says, the Lord is his name. Over and over. God is also praised for his power. Given what happened at the Red Sea, this was one of his most obvious attributes. In verse 6, we read, Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. And he proved this at the Red Sea by overpowering his enemies. This is where it gets a little interesting. God is praised for his eternity. He's praised for his power. And in this song in Exodus 15... He's also praised for his wrath. Continuing in verses 6 and 7. 
Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. Again, Exodus 15, the second half of verse 6 and verse 7. And many people, including many Christians, find it difficult to praise God for something like this, for His wrath. But we, we need to remember who this is. This is God. And God is so holy that it would not be right for Him to tolerate sin and to let it continue. And because of this, He's to be praised really for the justice of His wrath. And it helps if we understand how different divine wrath or God's wrath is from human anger because they are absolutely different things. They are not the same. God's anger is always righteous. Divine wrath is a holy hatred of sin and yes, its perpetrators. And in this song, God is not praised for the exodus in general, but specifically at this moment of the song, for the death of the Egyptians, but as a demonstration of divine wrath from God. The Lord is a warrior, Moses says in verse 3, and God's war against Egypt was a holy war. It was a holy war in a way that no human war can ever be holy. It was holy because God is holy. That is the only thing that makes it just. And again, our human wars are never just in this way. God is the only thing that makes that just. Back in chapter 14, right before the crossing of the Red Sea, God was giving instructions to Moses for his people. And in that moment, God tells Moses this. Exodus 14, verse 4, the second half of the verse. I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so the Israelites did this. That is what this is all about. It is about God. No one else and nothing else. And so God is praised for his eternity in this song. He's praised for his power. He's praised for his wrath. And next, he's praised for his supremacy. The eternal, just, all-powerful God is superior, not only to his enemies, but also to their gods. In order to prove the supremacy of God, Moses listed more of God's superior traits in his song. In verse 11, we read, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? And it's there as a question. But the answer, of course, is that there is no one like God. He is utterly incomparable. God alone is majestic in holiness, set apart, unique. There is no one like him. God alone is awesome in glory. God alone is able to work wonders like the plagues and the parting of the sea. And there's a lot to praise God for. And it makes complete sense that Moses in a song would be gushing about God. But there's more. Because God is also praised for his love. Look at verse 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Again, Exodus 15, verse 13. 
unfailing love, it says. This is referring to God's covenant-keeping love. Remember, God chose his people. He told them that they are his and that he would rescue them and bring them out of slavery. And God kept his promise. And Moses was not describing just random acts out there. These were righteous acts of divine judgment, but they were there because of God's love for his people. The Old Testament is the story of God bringing his people to their home in the house of the Lord, to him. That was the the plan and the story then, and this is still God's plan for his people. Every day, God is bringing more and more children into his holy dwelling, and soon all God's people will be there to sing this song that will never end. And so Moses ends his song with this chorus in verses 17 and 18. We read, and they sang, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established, the Lord reigns forever and ever. Exodus 15, 17 through 18. And this was the right note on which to end the song. There had been this long quarrel and battle back and forth with Pharaoh, but God had finally settled this once and for all. And there's no longer any question about who the true king is. Moses praises God for his kingly rule. And God is king, not simply over Israel, but over all creation. And not just then, but now. And not just now, forever into the future. What an amazing God. He is eternal, omnipotent, holy, just loving, faithful. So if anyone wonders whether this song is of any practical use, I'd say ask this question. What kind of God do we worship? We worship a God who will be with us always. We worship a God who has the power to save us and to triumph over the sin in our lives. We worship a God of wrath who will see to it that justice is done. We worship a God of everlasting love who will take us home to live with him forever. The God we worship is worthy of song. And I love this idea. I read this two sentences from one pastor in preparing for this message and I wanted to share it. And he writes, it's good to talk about the attributes of God But it is even better to write them in poetic lines, set them to music, and sing them to God. Until we do this, we have not yet achieved the goal of theology, which is the worship of God. That's what theology is. Not just the study, but the worship of God. And in Exodus 15, everyone was singing because everyone had been rescued. Every believer should sing to the Lord, not because they have a good voice, but because of what God has done for you. Praise is the natural response for those who've experienced God's grace. The Exodus was the most important event in the Bible until the cross. And what did they do after it? Sing. That's what saved people do. And this pattern continues throughout the Bible all the way to the end in Revelation 5, where we see everyone worshiping the Lamb who redeemed the people with his blood. And songs 
They help us remember. So everyone should sing from their heart directly to their Savior for the great deliverance that they have received just like in Exodus 15. And just like in Exodus 15, we're supposed to sing about Him and to Him. There's both of those aspects. We sing about who God is and we sing to Him personally in worship. We express to Him our love for Him, our gratitude for salvation. And just like in Exodus 15, we're to sing of His glory and His salvation. This song here talks about who God is, what He has done, and what He will do. It also looks to that future because He is God and He is Savior. And this song tells the splendor of God and all kinds of His attributes. Just like in Exodus 15, we're also to sing out of a personal connection. In order to worship God properly, you have to have a personal connection and relationship with Him. That gets it out of the head and into the heart. And remember, this is how the Song of Moses began. Moses sang, this is in Exodus 15, verse 2, I'll read. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise Him. My Father's God and I will exalt Him. There's a personal connection there. And the Song of Moses is thoroughly God-centered. And just like Exodus 15, our songs also are to be centered on God. And what I mean by that is this. Moses gave all the glory to God. He didn't say a single word about his own role in what was going on in Israel's salvation. It was all about God. That's the song of Moses in Exodus 15. And the rest of Exodus 15, it goes on to tell us things about what the Israelites did next on their journey. There is a short description of another song led by Miriam, not Moses. You can read about that in verses 19 through 21. And then Moses begins to lead them away from the Red Sea out into the desert. And you can read about that also uh, at the end of the chapter all the way to verse 27. And we're told they traveled for three days and then they couldn't find water and so they started grumbling again. Really? (laughs) After all this, grumbling again. Sounds just like me. And then they come to Elim where there's springs of water and palm trees and they're able to camp there near the water and of course the Lord provides for them again. But this is interesting because after their amazing counter crossing the sea, There's this wonderful song that I've just talked about. And then they move on right away. It's almost abrupt. And it made me think of an interesting detail from back in chapter 14 again. When they found themselves trapped in by the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptians on the other, the people had started grumbling. And I think the first part, the very first part of God's response back in chapter 14 is interesting. It's in Exodus 14, verse 15. And we read this. Then the Lord said to Moses... Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. And it's just, it's almost like God is saying, after all we've been through together, the plagues, after all you've seen me do in the world and for you, don't get stuck in this moment. Keep trusting me. Keep moving on. And almost immediately after this beautiful moment of praising God through song, The text just tells us Moses led them out into the desert. Doesn't say he led them to an amazing, beautiful, promised land. That's later in the story. It's interesting that he he leads them right out into the desert. 
and they've just gone through some really awful stuff and amazing stuff all at the same time. And they've had a moment to praise God through song, expressing how God is for them. And you'd hope that they'd catch a break here and maybe have some time to rest, right? Or to settle down or something. But that's not what God has for them. He has a different circumstance in store. And yet he is still for them. He is their God. They are his people. That hasn't changed because God doesn't change. In the Bible, the Exodus, the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus are their objective demonstrations in history that God is for us, however we feel and whatever is happening. Let me say that again because I want you to catch that. In the Bible, the Exodus, the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus are objective demonstrations in history that God is for us, however we feel and whatever is happening. However we feel and whatever is happening. Whatever our circumstances, we can still sing of God's goodness. As a matter of fact, we're supposed to sing of God's goodness. Because whenever God does something, he deserves to be praised. It will be a great day when Jesus comes again. God will bring every sin to judgment and he'll take his children home to live with him forever. Absolutely, that'll be great. But now, know that God is for you and that he won't fail. In fact, he can't. <laughs> this, is, this is why we are supposed to keep practicing our praise. And so we're actually going to practice this now today. I'm going to ask you to join with me in prayer as I close this portion of our worship service. But I'm going to invite the worship team back up to lead us in a song of response.